The Moth Podcast is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. We all have a story to tell, and the Moss Education Program is looking to help young people tell their stories. High school students can develop their storytelling skills with the Moss Summer Story Lab. Join us for a free, one-week-long workshop where you'll learn the art and craft of sharing your own story. From brainstorming to that final mic drop moment, we've got you covered. Plus, you'll make new friends, build skills that shine in school and beyond, and have a blast along the way. Whether it's at the family dinner table or a college essay starter, your story matters. Virtual and in-person options are available to fit your style. Workshops begin in August. Don't miss out. Sign up now and learn more today at themoth.org forward slash storylab. Apply by June 23rd. Welcome to The Moth Podcast. I'm Chloe Salmon, your host for this week. When I think about what it takes to be an engaged human being, standing up for what you believe in tops the list. To push for what you think is right requires the bravery to find your voice and the conviction to raise it so others can hear and respond. In this week's episode, we have two stories of standing up and being heard. Our first storyteller is Jan Stapleman. Jan told this at a story slam in Denver where the theme of the night was Love Hurts. Here's Jan live at The Moth. Little tiny bit more. Thank you. I was 17 years old, lying in a nightmare of pain in a hospital delivery room. I was surrounded by people dressed in white, but I was alone and terrified. I didn't know anything about giving birth, and obviously even less about birth control. And <laughs> Nobody was explaining anything to me. I weighed about 80-some pounds when I got pregnant at age 16 because I wanted so much to look like Twiggy. But I managed to give birth that night to almost nine-pound baby girl. My baby's father, who literally was the boy next door, said, we'll get married. I didn't want to get married. We were two clueless teenagers, and I knew I wasn't ready to be a mom. Before we left the hospital, we stopped at the nursery window to see her. Oh my God, she was the most beautiful baby in the nursery. We stood there holding on to each other and weeping, and then we walked away. We left her there, knowing that the folks handling the adoption would be there soon. We went back to our lives, Finished high school, I started college. We drifted apart, grew up, and eventually started our own families. More than 30 years passed. Then one day, I got a phone call. My daughter had launched this epic search, and her private investigator found me. I was thrilled. We started writing letters, exchanging photos, talking on the phone. This heavy, dark secret I had been carrying around for more than 30 years fell away and was replaced with light, with the prospect of knowing and loving my daughter. 
She lived in a southern city with her husband, who's an executive. They had two little boys. I visited them. She visited me. She gave birth to a daughter. She's so like me in so many ways. She looks a lot like me. Her voice is a lot like mine. And she's strong in her opinions like I am. There were some dark clouds gathering in the background, but I thought we could overcome them. Yes, she belonged to a conservative Southern Christian church, whereas if I could be classified in any religion, a concept I reject, I guess I'd be closer to the Rainbow family. <laughs> it's true, her politics put her firmly on the right, whereas I lean far to the left. But it's okay, she's my daughter. I figured all we have to do is just get to know and love each other and everything will turn out just fine. What could go wrong? So I started employing diversionary tactics whenever our conversation veered toward any topic that might divide us. And it worked for a while. And then she started thanking me in every conversation for being anti-abortion. If you weren't against abortion, she said, I wouldn't be here. I'm not against abortion if that means going back to the days when young women died because their choices were disgrace or a back alley abortion. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to argue with her. I knew this topic was painful for her, so I was a coward. I was a coward. I didn't tell her the truth. I just avoided any topics that might divide us. Usually I'm outspoken about my beliefs, but I didn't want to argue with my daughter about this. There was a deep rift growing between the right and the left, and they were beginning to regard each other as the enemy. I couldn't let that happen between me and my daughter. She knew I was dodging the topic of abortion, so she pressed me during a phone call. I said, okay, so we might disagree about some things, but that's all right. We don't have to share all the same opinions. Let's embrace all the things that we have in common. She burst into tears and yelled, if I would have been conceived after Roe v. Wade, you would have killed me. I didn't really remember that she was born before Roe v. Wade. <laughs> All I remembered was that as a teen, I knew about abortion, but I had no idea how to get one. I said, but I didn't have an abortion, and I'm so glad I didn't. A few days after that phone call, she sent me an email and told me that she didn't respect my values. I could never be a mother to her. She told me to never try to contact her. I had lost my daughter again, and the pain was unbearable. I know she was striking out because she was hurting too. She grew up in a loving home, but always wondering why her birth parents walked away from that hospital without her. What could hurt more than that? Then she launches this search, perhaps picturing a Phyllis Schlafly-type mom she could relate to, and instead she finds me, an aging hippie, more along the line of Gloria Steinem. She finally finds me, and I turn out to be the enemy. After a few years, she sent me a letter at Christmas time. She apologized for hurting me. Well, what she wrote was that as a Christian, she couldn't justify hurting someone like that. So now we're in a period of detente. We exchange 
polite emails about the weather, the kids' activities, our work. We don't talk about anything of consequence. We don't share our deepest thoughts, beliefs, dreams. But as long as we're in touch, there's hope, right? I figure I'm going to do everything I can to keep that door open. Maybe this search isn't over. Maybe if we just keep talking, someday we can get past the pain and find our way to love. That was Jan Stapleman, a self-described word nerd. Jan has channeled her passions for writing and editing into a career in communications and publishing. She says that when she's not obsessing about grammar and punctuation, she's likely hiking or working out. Jan is happiest when she's summiting peaks, exploring canyons, and backpacking wherever the trail leads her. Our next storyteller is Frank Chalmers. Frank told this at a story slam in London where the theme of the night was busted. Here's Frank, live at The Moth. I hope you're not expecting anything professional like the last act. Um, When I came to London as a student, I didn't expect the streets to be paved with gold or even crack cocaine. (laughs) But my arrival coincided with the coming to power of one of the most vicious and ideological governments that this country has ever seen. And overnight, I stopped being an economics graduate and I became a political activist. Lots of my friends were chucked on the dole. We were involved in campaigns against nuclear weapons, apartheid. Uh, We were acting for civil liberties. We were pretty good. We had an office. We thought we were really (laughs) great activists. And our campaign slogan was, jobs, not bombs. (laughs) One day, an anonymous leaflet was pushed under the door. And it said, the Prime Minister will be giving an inaugural lecture at the Church of St. Lawrence Jury next to the Guildhall in the city of London. Now, this was the Prime Minister who had called Nelson Mandela a terrorist, who had refused to introduce sanctions against apartheid, who was cozying up to President Reagan, who was introducing or planning to introduce neutron bombs, which killed or could kill millions of people, but would leave property intact. So my friend and I went down to this church and I've never seen anything so rich in my life. We walked in, there was a balcony above us, TV cameras from all over the world were setting up. There's a long aisle in front with pews at either side. There was a side chapel that would hold hundreds more. And at the bottom, there was a lectern being set up for the prime minister. Now we were young and we thought, you know, we've got to do something, this isn't right. So we decided we would have a protest the next day and try to find a place halfway down the aisle. So we met in a pub in Clarkenwell, in a room above a pub. We planned it all out. A guy called Terry was going to give a speech and the rest of us were going to stand up and sing, Give Peace a Chance. (laughs) Eight of us decided that we could do it because we were the only eight who had a suit or or a nice (laughs) shirt and tie. We were going to come the next day, an hour early, to get there. Terry was going to make a speech. I wrote the speech from We Were All Going to Sing. So we turned up an hour early at this church. No chance. It was packed. People had been there for hours. All the rich and famous were there. 
we couldn't even get in the door. And then the vicar came to close the door, and he saw how disappointed we were. We were the only young ones there. Everyone else was in fur coats and pinstripe suits. And he said, don't be disappointed, my children. I'll find you something. And he took <laughs> us in, and he looked. There were no seats. And I thought, there's not even any room at the inn here. Never mind at the manger. And then he said, I know, come, follow me. And he took us right down the front to these choir boxes at either side. And I thought, this is a setup. This is a setup here. So I was sitting with Terry at these choir boxes, and after, you know, you could feel the sweat dripping. The hair was starting to rise in the back of our necks. And this guy came and stood behind us. And I recognized him. He was a special branch officer that always opened the door of the prime minister's car. But he stood behind us this time, and he had his hand in his breast pocket. And I thought, we've had it here. And Terry suddenly opened this big Bible that was sitting in front of us, and he said, I said, what is it? He said, and these are words I'd never heard before. He said, I've lost me bottle. And I said, pardon? I've lost me bottle. Now, I had no idea which bottle he was talking about. <laughs> I come from Scotland. I'd never heard this phrase. But I, I, said, I said, what? What are you he said, I can't, I can't do it, I can't do it. I've been worrying all night about this, I can't do it. I thought, oh my God, oh my God, what we're going to do? I, all I was worrying about was remembering the words for give peace a chance. <laughs> and they're pretty easy. So I looked around and there was a great big pulpit behind us, about 10 or 12 feet in the air. And I thought, oh, I've got to do something. Just then, the Prime Minister came in and I counted to three. And as soon as Mrs. Thatcher put her hands on the lectern, I ran up into the pulpit and it was silent. And I remembered the speech because I'd written the bloody thing. I said, how can you call yourself a Christian when you're, uh, you're supporting apartheid in South Africa? How can you call yourself a Christian where you're going to consign a million young people to the dole? And it all came out. There was silence in the church. Nobody knew what to do because we weren't throwing eggs, we weren't swearing, we weren't fighting. I must have got 30 seconds of, of free speech. And all the TV cameras from all over the world are going like this. And then suddenly these kids that were with me stood up and started singing, <laughs> all we are saying is gave peace. And it was absolutely amazing. And suddenly I felt these hands on my back. I turned around, it was the chief superintendent. He said, will you come quietly? or otherwise. I said, I'll come quietly, because we'd done our job. And they took us out, and I was huckled up the, the middle of the aisle. Terry, of course, walked out with his hands up <laughs> like this. And he was on the front page of the Daily Mail, <laughs> and the Daily Mirror, and the Guardian. And the next day, it was over all the press. It was on every TV bulletin. But we were busted, and then released, because we hadn't done anything illegal. We'd done an honourable thing. And my moral, uh, the moral of this story is, if you're going to be busted, don't do it behind a mask. Do it for something in public that you feel proud of, and then you can get busted free as well. Frank, everybody! Frank! That was Frank Chalmers. When he was young, Frank expressed his political views through nonviolent direct action in London. 
Now, having retired, he uses music. In fact, in anticipation of the Climate Action Summit in Glasgow, Frank's band released Been Asleep Too Long, the protest song you're listening to right now. As Frank says, you can retire from work, but you can't retire from your principles. We've been asleep too long. To see some photos and flyers from Frank's history of protest, and to listen to the rest of this song, head over to our website, themoth.org extras. That's all for this episode. Thank you to our storytellers for sharing with us, and to you for listening. From all of us here at The Moth, have a story-worthy week. Chloe Salmon is a producer, an instructor for The Moth's community and education programs, and a director on the main stage. Her favorite moth moments come on show days when the cardio is done, the house lights go down, and the magic settles in. This episode of the Moth Podcast was produced by Sarah Austin Janess, Sarah Jane Johnson, Julia Purcell, and me, Davey Sumner. The rest of the Moth's leadership team includes Catherine Burns, Sarah Haberman, Jennifer Hickson, Meg Bowles, Kate Tellers, Jennifer Birmingham, Marina Cloutier, Suzanne Rust, Brandon Grant, Inga Gladowski, and Aldi Kaza. All moth stories are true as remembered by storytellers. For more about our podcast, information on pitching your own story, and everything else, visit our website, themoth.org. The Moth Podcast is presented by PRX, the public radio exchange, helping make public radio more public at prx.org. <laughs>